um, but they only invite me every seven years or so, so, uh, and who knows, I might not be around for the next time, so, um, but um, it's been a seven years where it's been pretty tumultuous in our world and things are changing quickly. Um, we've had two different presidents and two very different administrations. Almost three years of COVID coming into it and coming out of it, Lord willing. And for you as a church, um, a new pastor, which is not an easy thing to happen, uh, looking and searching and then by God's grace uh, finding Matthew. Didn't have to look far, but you looked other places first. And um, two tries at a building. And it didn't happen. And going through finding a new pastor, COVID, and going through a building and it not happening can easily tear apart a congregation. There's so many things that you feel like the foundations around you are crumbling. For us during that time, it's been two moves. Uh, being a part of two churches now as an assistant pastor, I only work 20 hours a week. Uh, supposedly, so, um, but it's been a blessing for us, but in both of those churches, the pastors had been there 30 years, and it's hard to make that transition for churches um, to do that, and uh, Marg and I each have a serious health issues that we didn't have before, and so it's a time in the world, which is probably not really different than any other time in the world. It seems like the very foundations are knocked out from under you. But isn't it joyous that our foundation is eternal and in the heavens with our Lord? I, if you caught the end of Psalm 77a, it said, For the Most High has a firm right hand, though, though the years, that through the years will change his changeless stand. He doesn't let go. We do. <laughs> More often than, uh, than we would like to confess. We confess that in our confession of sin today. All of those things that we still struggle with this side of heaven. The three things that I want to particularly mention just about you and a church. First, great thanks for the loving way you received us when we first came to Redeemer. It was just a blessing to be enfolded by you and cared by you. Second, for nine blessed years of mutual ministry and care in Christ. And third, for the gracious and generous send-off and support you gave us so that I could partially retire as we transitioned into that. Uh, we are just so thankful for the love and care that you have uh, shown us. Um, thus endeth the personal privilege. Handwriting a letter, much less a thank you note, is practically a thing of the past in the midst of our wireless digital society that gives you instant and distant communication for most people in this world. Therefore, too many, if not most of the same people, if they would hear are pausing to spend time looking at an ancient letter from the Apostle Paul to the Church of Philippi this morning, which is also a thank you note 
for their care for the apostle would seem odd, if not incomprehensible. But because it is inspired by God, his holy word, there is much for us to learn, even from a small portion that we'll look at this morning. Now, Paul had been used of our Lord to establish the Philippian church on his second missionary journey. And as you may remember, Lydia, the first convert in Europe, was from there. And you might recall the Philippian jailer who came to Christ along with his whole family under Paul's ministry. It was the Philippian church who sent to Paul by Epaphroditus while he was in prison in Rome for his faithful proclamation of the gospel, a generous gift and a friend to bring it. So let's turn to God's word and listen to the portion that we have for today from Philippians chapter, well, excuse me, and before we get there, I just want to read about uh, the little part of the thank you note that we're not looking at, where Paul said this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So we're finding Paul now after being a Christian for almost 30 years, having taken three dangerous missionary journeys, bringing Christ to the Gentiles and knowing that his death, death is imminent by the decree of Nero, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus. Paul was eager to pass on these parting words for their benefit, and I trust for years today. So let us turn to Philippians chapter 3. And read verses 12 through 16. Here we have the Apostle Paul. Not that I've already obtained this, and this is maturity in Christ, being perfect, uh, becoming like Christ, all of what Romans 8.28 is all about. All things are working together for good that we would become like Christ. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Let me pray. 
Father and God, we thank you that you are indeed at work in your church. You've called us and set aside your people to be yours. But now you have given us a call to follow after you. Not for those few moments after a conversion or even when we're young and have strength, but to the end, the course that we might finish well, giving glory to you. Would you encourage your church today here as you encourage the Philippians? Would you bring these truths home to us of your greatness and your great call for us? All in and through our Lord and Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. The first point I'm going to start really is from the middle of the portion we read where the Apostle Paul says, think this way. It's, he's going to tell us why, but you can't do what he's calling you to do unless you have this kind of mindset. Your heart is set this way. Let you who are mature and maturing in Christ think like this. Let the Philippians 3.15 let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I begun with this verse in the middle of the paragraph to help us better understand Paul's specific point and one that's found throughout God's word, that our actions spring from our thinking. The Bible calls that our mind, but it also calls it our heart. It also calls us our soul. In the Old Testament, it often said your intestines. It was talking about that, sem that center core of who we are. When we sit and think and ponder, our actions spring from that. In the King James Version, in the wisdom literature of the Proverbs in 23.7, it says it for this way. For as he, that is a man, thinketh in his heart, so he is. We spring, what we do comes from what we think about. And so even think about that now and all the stuff that comes into us from phone, from the internet, from television, from our conversations with magazines, from work, from sport, everything that comes in, it affects our thinking and who we are. That's why the word of God is so important to us and the saints come back every week to hear God because we're hearing so much other that captures us and pulls us and tears us and we need to come back and have our minds refreshed and set on what is true and foundational to us and that's so that our thoughts indeed affect the way we act. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart, his mind, his soul, uh, and the good produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. And Jesus again in Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, fault, witness, and slander. Yes, or the, is it nurture or nature? That's the question that they're always asking. It, did someone kill somebody because they were abused as a child? Yes, that happens sometimes. It, it puts pressure on. 
but there are many people who had great educations, loving families that end up killing somebody because it's from the heart. All these outward things affect us, but what goes on in our hearts and minds is where all of that springs from. You know, something happens. Uh, I remember when, when my daughter was a teenager, we're sitting around the table at dinner time, and all of a sudden, you know, she did something. I don't know if she dropped a fork or said something smart as a teenager might say. Not really smart, right? But you know what I'm talking about. And I let go, and her hair was flying back as I yelled at her, you know, as you can see the, you know, the cartoon, how that's happening. And I said, oh, sweetie, I had a rough day. Please forgive me. Well, the rough day added problems, but what the real problem was, how dare you interrupt my meal? I want to feel good. I want to taste this food. I don't want you to bother me. It came from my heart, right? That's where our actions spring from. That's why we desperately need God's word to change us and affect us and mold us. Therefore, church, when God calls those who are mature and maturing in Christ to think a certain way, you need to pay close attention because your actions, your following after Jesus flows from your mind and heart and soul. For too many years, way too many years, I read the scriptures daily and I encouraged others. I probably encouraged you to do so. But it was really in a sense for spiritual brownie points. You know, read the word and make sure you get it in. And maybe you can get, uh, I forget it was Jay or somebody else's reading platform, you know, you read the Bible in the morning and the evening, and you got through the Old Testament twice, once, and, and the Psalms twice, and the New Testament twice, and I had little different colored cards, and you check them off, and you felt really good, you know, and I'm really disciplining you, and you're being discipled, and that's a bunch of baloney. It's great if you read God's Word, read it often. I'm not saying don't do that, but now by God's mercy, and his work in my life, I'm reading the word because I'm desperate. I'm desperate to love my wife well for the 50th year. Because as I get older and I have my own aches and pains, and, and, and days are harder, I want her to serve me. And so when I hear her making little wifely noises in the kitchen, maybe she's trying to open something, and I'm in my chair with my feet up, right? And she's saying, Jerry, and I'm pretending like I'm asleep, you know? I need the word of God to say, Christ, love, you love your wife the way Christ loved the church. I'm desperate for that every day, for God to change my heart and mind. That's why we're in, in the word, because we see Christ, we hear Christ, we know Christ. As we pray to him, he speaks to us that way and changes us. And so that's why we need to be in God's word. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the woman of God, the person of God might be complete and mature, equipped for every good work. I'm not saying don't be disciplined in reading your word, 
but don't be disciplined because it's a discipline. You can say, oh, yeah, I read through the Bible again for the 47th year, you know. No, I read through the Bible because it's meat and drink. It's what sustains me every day. It's what, it's what helps me repent. It's what gives me the direction of how to love those around me. It helps me do what the Ten Commandments to summarize. Love God with all my heart, mind, and soul instead of wanting to love myself and beginning to love my neighbor like I love me. I don't have any problem with I love me. You know That's why it doesn't say love yourself in the Bible anywhere. We've got to break that, and that's a continual breaking that God's doing in us and humbling us and uh, showing us how Christ, his, his purpose was to do the will of his Father. So now after God talks about in your minds, you need to think this way, he's now telling you what to do. And these verbs are present continuous. That means don't just do this now, but keep on doing it. And the first is from Philippians 3.12. Press on to know and become Christ, like Christ. Philippians 3.12. Not that I've, and this is the Apostle Paul, right? Not that I've already obtained it, this, or I'm ready and mature and perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The Apostle Paul here is the one speaking to the church in Philippi, speaking to you and me this morning. Paul, arguably the best-known Christian there ever has been, is confessing at the end of his life that he is not yet mature, not yet perfect, that he's not yet obtained God's objective of becoming like Christ. Note carefully the two things that Paul is telling both the Philippian church and you today. One, that he has not arrived, and two, that he purposely to con purposes to continually press on to the goal of becoming like Christ and finally being with Christ in heaven. Now this pressing on is not of his own making. He had no desire to be with Christ. But Christ, first of all, makes us his own. The outworking of our conversion is then seeing seen in our following after Jesus. And notice what it says, to press on, to run, to follow after, to pursue and to chase. It's described as a sprinter straining towards the finish line. You've seen it, maybe slow motion when you watch the Summer Olympics. You see the guy on the blocks, and you know if, it's, if he's doing 100 yards, it's 10 seconds, and it's whomp, but they slow it down. And you see the runner going off, off the blocks, right? And I can't imagine this. It's the way I run. But, but you see him going off the blocks. And in slow-mo, right, it's like, it's like when you saw uh, the G-force on astronauts, you know? They're in those things that go round, 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 like a big centrifuge, right? And they have a camera on their faces going, <laughs> you know? And that's what it's like. You know, you're straining after when these guys get all the blocks. Your face is pushed back because that's what they're called to. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, continually looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
Beloved, it's pressing on. And it's not until you're with Jesus that the race ends. In one sense, it's a sprint, but the truth is it's a marathon. It is forever. We're never out of the race. While you had nothing to do with your new birth, coming to Christ, being born again, Paul is saying that continuing with Christ demands your continual effort strengthened by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Therefore, you get scriptures like this. And notice that it's both and. Uh, uh, your coming to Christ is monogeristic, uh, which means you had nothing to do with it. God does it. Now, we're going to talk a minute how it's confusion and reformed scholars will say, is your sanctification becoming like Jesus, all of God or part of you? Yes. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but in much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work. But thanks be to God, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for your good pleasure. So it is both and. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, this not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result it works, so no one should boast. Yes, we're saved, nothing. We were elected. God changed us. We're dead in our sin. How can a dead man return, do anything? He can't. But God gives us life by his spirit. Then it says, for it is God who, then it says, we were created in Christ Jesus for now good works, which God prepared beforehand now that we should walk in them. When Christ draws you to himself, you're born again, sanctified, you're declared righteous, you are positionally holy. You go to heaven, the thief on the cross couldn't do anything. He had faith in Christ, he went to heaven, he was instantly sanctified, legally could go to heaven, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. But now if we don't go instantly to heaven, God is progressively actually working out what we are legally, making us holy like Jesus more and more day by day. There are arguments among Reformed biblical scholars as how exactly that happens using words like monergistic or synergistic in regard to our sanctification, becoming like Christ. I'm not even going to touch that today. Uh, we don't want to go there. But thankfully... Um, um, but what, I want to make sure you know that whatever it is and how God's working it out, it's not a let go and let God kind of theology. I'm saved, I'm holy now. God, if you want me to do something, I hope you do it. And you just sit there all of your life or do what you want to do. Um, Kevin DeYoung has summed up faithful past reform scholars on both sides of the issues which these words, which I believe are helpful. We work out our sanctification as God works in us. Those are two truths we must protect. The gift of God and sanctification and the activity of man. We work out our sanctification as God works in us. These are two truths we must protect. The gift of God and sanctification and the activity of man.
knowing this truth and our own great weakness for the last few years before we left Redeemer, Mark and I would get together with Lee and Kit Sillen over New Year's Eve for dinner and then spend our time before midnight in prayer. And we would specifically call on God to enable each of us in our race to follow after Christ and to finish well. We don't want to be out of the well, out of the race. We don't want to just sit and say, yeah, I've done enough now. Now we're not saving ourselves. Understand that, right? But God says, you're in the race. You're still my disciple. You're still called to follow after me. We did not get together our last year in Conquer because we moved in December. But a little over a year later, we visited Lee and Kit right before the end of her painful struggle with pancreatic cancer. And it was such a joy for you to see the tender way that so many of you visited her and cared for her and prayed with her. And uh, we actually were there the week before she died. And uh, she just had a sweet spirit and wanted to continue on. And she talked about how you encouraged her in that. But she wanted to finish well, and indeed, she did. Anyone who asks me for just one prayer request over the last couple of years will hear me respond that I would finish well, to stay in the race, keeping my eyes on the prize of being with and like Jesus. And for me, it's particularly in the major areas of my life, loving my wife Marg, helping our family, serving the church, and taking care of my health so that I might continue in the race. Now the next thing that Paul tells us, you say, oh yeah, let's hear it. I'm ready for a rest. I just, I, you know, oh, I was pressing on. That's enough, all right? I don't want to hear that. Well, the next thing he says, strain forward for the prize. <laughs> Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the upward prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul, it's hard for me to get my hands around this the way I read scriptures and follow him. The Apostle Paul once again confesses that he's not finished his race or accomplished the goal of becoming like Jesus. He tells us the one thing he does, which actually breaks down into two parts as he continues, is to press on and be like and with Christ. Part A of Paul, the one thing he does, is to, for, <clears throat> excuse me, is to forget what lies behind. Someone recently said to me <clears throat> about our need to forget that is why in cars that we have rear-view rear mirrors that are small and windshields that are massive. John MacArthur, with these comments, is really helpful. He says this, Not only is maximum effort needed, but focused concentration. To fix our eyes, as any athlete knows, that when you're running in a race, you have to fix your eyes on something ahead of you. You cannot watch your feet 
or you'll fall in your face. You cannot watch the people around you or look behind or you'll trip up somebody and will pass you on the other side. Your focus is straight forward to the goal that's ahead. And here are a few things to help you. Because, you know, it is really easy for any of us to get caught up in what happened before. Oh, I was a part of this church. And, and you know, and may even have relatives that don't go to church because something happened in their church before, right? They're, they're looking behind of that hurt. So maybe some of you are struggling in your relationship because of something that happened before. We're worrying about what happened behind us. They do affect us. They might affect us greatly, but we're to put our heads looking towards the future. And Scott, you have that glass of water. Thank you. <clears throat> you were very kind. That's all right. Better late than never. Or so I've heard it said. Boy, don't you wish you had a glass of water? It's great and it's cold. Mm. Thank you. Just think how long I can go now. <laughs> First, Paul left his forgiven sins behind. One of the hardest things for me to hear is people who just says, I can't forgive myself. Well, that's just unbiblical. You don't understand the scripture if you say that. The Apostle Paul stood by the murder of Stephen, approving it. The Apostle Paul was capturing Christians and taking them back and putting them in jail. And he's the one who had killed other people and was able to rejoice in God's forgiveness. And if you keep saying, I can't forgive myself, you're saying God is a liar. Because in 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If God forgives you and cleanse your sins, who are you to say, I just can't forgive myself? No, look to your great and gracious God who is bigger than any of your sins and whose blood of Jesus is perfect to confess, cover all of those sins. Rejoice in it and raise your hands and say, Hallelujah. I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus and trusted by faith. Second thing that often holds us up that we need to forget from behind are past accomplishments. Here the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he was part of starting at least 14 churches mentioned in the scripture. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He spent somewhere between five and six years of his life in jail for the gospel uh, just a small list of the things he went through for the gospel were uh, and sufferings of 39, 39 lashes three times, beaten with rods three times, three times shipwrecked, and once stoned and left for dead. Yet he says this, listen to his testimony, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, but... You see, he knew the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Beloved, is there any of you who are maybe getting those gray hairs like I have now, and maybe you were a part of giving many? Oh, no, anyhow, um, do you rest 
on your past service for Christ and saying, oh, I was an elder, I was a deacon, I taught Sunday school, I hosted a Bible study, I used to have folks over for dinner, I used to take meals to those who are sick or knew knows what else. The younger people can do it. Beloved, there's, there's no rest. Yes, we rest in Christ. And for some of us, maybe your service is taking care of a relative now or a spouse. Maybe your service is changing and maybe you're bedridden and you can only pray. But beloved, we're never out of the race and service. We don't look at our past accomplishments. We wake up and say, God, what would you have me do today? And third, Paul left the good old days behind. Listen to Paul's testimony in prison. He was not looking back at the excitement of past missionary journeys or even as helping to start and grow churches throughout Asia Minor and beyond. But he remains focused on the gospel advance amidst the difficult circumstances that God has for him in prisons now. He says this in just the next set of verses. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and that the rest of all my imprisonment is for Christ and that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the question is, beloved, is not how little I can do and I'm not talking about showing up at every service and getting involved in every ministry. I'm not talking about one who is using their gifts because of out of guilt. You know, am I going to get enough brownie points to go to heaven? No, no, no. But that you just have a heart to serve when God asks. The question God asks is how will you continue to press on to be like and be with Christ in spite of the circumstance that might limit or even imprison you now. Sometimes we get older, we're imprisoned by our own bodies. We can't do what we used to do. But boy, we can pray. Part B of Paul's one thing is to strain forward, is again picturing that runner stretching every muscle to reach what's in front of him, the finish line, and the prize of being like and with Jesus. I am so thankful for various brothers and sisters in Christ that God has put in my life over the years that have demonstrated this very life of Christ that Paul is calling us to live. Uh, the congregation that I'm a part of serving now is a much older congregation, and I'm just overwhelmed by how those people love in Jesus, keep loving Jesus and serving him. But... Uh, Beloved, one of the ones that changed me that I look forward to was Bill Mercaldi. Most of you knew him as an elder here at Redeemer. When I first got to the church, Bill was at least 80 years old. And when I thought of going to the first session meeting with Bill, I actually thought to myself, how much help can he do? Yeah, I did. But the truth is that all during my time at Redeemer, Bill spurred me on to be a better and more faithful pastor by his encouragement and example. 
Not only did he faithfully serve on the session, but he also led a weekly Bible study for the senior saints of Redeemer, as well as a weekly prison ministry that continued for 16 years. And if you don't know, recently at the age of 94, was Bill went home to be with our Lord, having been married for Jane for just short of 75 years, and having led his last weekly Bible study at their retirement complex the week before having finished well. The last thing that the apostle tells us is to hold true to what you have obtained. Philippians 3.16 Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Our lives as Christians in this world might be compared to a salmon continually fighting the current going upstream to spawn. If you've ever seen the salmon, they have to go back to the stream that God has put in them that when they're about to die, they go back to the stream they were born in after being in the ocean for years, and they fight up the stream. Usually it's a mountainous stream. They have to go up over rocks at the end of their life, bruising themselves and fighting, and then they get washed back, then they jump up again, and they finally get back to where they'll die. And that's a picture, of a, really, of us going to heaven. We're continually fighting three enemies. This world, as you watch television, the news, and the educations we get, are always fighting against what Christ has said. Uh, our own flesh within us, our lusts that still are there, right? It doesn't take us long. We go from church, oh, yes, I'm going to live that way. And then you either argue with your wife on the way home or smack one of your kids in the car. And, well, no, no, you'd never do anything like that. Or, you know. But, you know, it's how quickly we fight, you know, this world, our own flesh, and then the devil against us. And it's a continual battle. So don't be surprised at that. Don't be overwhelmed. You know, oh, man, again, that's the nature of it, this side of heaven. We're continually going on. Therefore, to hold on does not mean to remain stagnant, but to actively stay in the race to become likened with Christ. That is clear as you look and listen to the next few verses from this same chapter. And brother, Paul says this to his own brothers and sisters in the Philippian church. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Beloved, you know those who maybe when you came to Christ were walking with him, but now you know that they are not. They never were his. Because the earthly things caught us. You know, that seed of the four seeds that were sown in the soil. And they were caught up by the cares of the world. How easily that happens to us. When God then describes, as he just did here, when Paul describes those in the church whose God is their belly, he also says, with their mind set on earthly things. He's not just talking about those who struggle with gluttony like I do at times, but he describes... Those of us, all of us, who have our minds set on earthly things. How easy just to see a commercial on TV. And then your mind, you know, you think, how could I get that? You know, I'm a little upset today. Ah, oh, just one click on Amazon and I'll be happy, right? It can be delivered the same day. 
And it never makes you happy. It just piles up with the other stuff, right? We all know that, of how easily we get trapped into those things. But purposing, and you know, it's not just those things, earthly things that capture us, such as murder, adultery, greed. But it's even the good things, family. It can even be church. When we're doing those good things for the wrong reasons, that, that our family becomes so much that we don't follow after Christ. Now, enjoy God's blessings, but the difficulty is often we love the gifts more than God himself. So he says, press on to love me first. Enjoy your blessings, but remember, I'm that one. Those things can be family, friends, jobs, hobbies, sports, recreation, entertainment, and a million other things that capture our hearts. Paul was deeply aware of this struggle that we face between what we should do and what we actually can do. Now, isn't it wonderful that the Apostle Paul, who we think of as the greatest maybe of all the saints in a sense in the New Testament, he records this in Romans 7, 21 to 25, because I don't want you to be overwhelmed. <laughs> Press on, go on, strain. And you go, come you know, go away from here. To, oh, I just need a nap. Romans 7, Paul talks about each of us. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, an evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But then he looks to Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Keep saying, my only hope is in Christ. And I follow on not to earn his love, but I follow on because I am so loved. Looking again to the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has already lived the perfect life that you cannot live. That Jesus has already died the perfect sacrifice for sin that we could not die. Therefore, listen with grace-filled ears to Paul's admonition to you this morning, Brothers, join me in imitating and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. First of all, look to Jesus, but then be thankful for the saints that he has given you through the years. That you know, as you got to know them, are flawed. You know, whether you look at Bill or Kit or our next friend that I'm going to end with, they're just flawed, but they look to and love Jesus. Look to and love Jesus and hold on to him and go on with him. Johnny Erickson Tata has been one of those for me and Marg. Many of you have know her as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Years and years ago, over 54 years ago, Marg took me to meet her early on in our dating at Johnny's family farm in Sykesville, Maryland. 
not long after her diving accident in the Chesapeake Bay. Because Marg knew her through young life, she sang in our wedding, visited our home, and stayed with us in Pittsburgh, and we've been able to meet with her over the years and keep up. Then at the beginning of this month, at a small Baltimore Young Life reunion, we were able to see her again. We, Marg and I sat down with a few minutes, and she, she talked about her life and her pains and struggles and praying for her. And um, then she asked about us and, you know, how old people, if you don't know this yet, we get together and we have organ recitals. We'll tell you about our livers and our hearts and all these different things and how we're struggling. And then after that, and her being sympathetic to us, she just reminded us that these are only light and momentary afflictions. Now at 72, she continues to have an international ministry for Christ. And I want to end by reading this from an article that she recently wrote, 55 years in a wheelchair. I'm wheeling the race that the Lord Jesus has set before me. Aging with quadriplegia may be filled with, filled with extra challenges, but it doesn't demoralize me. With God's help, I hold everything lightly. I try not to grasp at my fragile life, nor coddle it, or minimize my activities at Johnny and Friends just because I'm getting older, growing weaker, and dealing with more pain. What else could be more important than practicing Christianity with sleeves rolled up among the needy? When I do become tired, I'm inspired by the life of Jesus, who even as he was nailed on his cross and in great pain, nevertheless kept serving others, like the thief, his mother, and the soldiers who needed forgiveness. In Ephesians 1, we're told to imitate him. So I'm heaven-bent on honoring Jesus, serving others, finishing the race, and completing the tax test of testifying to the gospel of grace. Beloved, I hope you're not overwhelmed as we end today. I hope you're encouraged. You might be overwhelmed by saying to yourself, well, I'm not a Kit Sillen, I'm not a Bill Mercaldi, I'm certainly not a Johnny Erickson Tata. Then listen to Alistair Begg's encouragement to the saints in his congregation. When the enemy whispers to you that you're a disaster or completely useless, you can set his lies against the truth of God's word and say, I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let us look to him. Our Father and God, what a joy to be with the saints at Redeemer today, this small portion that you've brought together and who may be watching and just a small portion of the church that's worshiping all over the world today and you know what messes we are and what a joy it will be to have communion after this where you have made a divine drama pointing us to Jesus and the one where we be strengthened as we sup we feast upon his work spiritually and are strengthened again to live with and for him do it oh God we are so weak 
our grasp is so light that we thank you for the promise in your word that you and the Father will never let go and you've indwelt us by the Spirit of God. We rejoice in being your children in and through Christ and pray in his name. Amen.